You are listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. Resonate is a collegiate church planning network in the Northwest. If you'd like to learn more, please visit us at resonate.net. What's up, Resonate? We are in the midst of a sermon series really talking about how smart people can orient their lives around something that they cannot see and maybe not even fully realize and why it's actually more rational to do that even in our modern world and really what it looks like for us to have faith even in an increasingly secular environment. And so to do that, I want to start off um, by going back and illustrating this point with some 80s fashion. So are you guys ready for this? 80s fashion. Okay. So in the 80s, um, many of you weren't alive, um, but your parents were, and they might have looked a little bit like this. Yeah, maybe so. Um, in the 80s, there was this like acid wash jeans, jean, jean jacket kind of thing. It's kind of coming back, but this is kind of what people look like whenever they didn't know that you shut your mouth sometimes when you uh, smile, right? So there you go. There's a uh, picture of what the 80s might have looked like if your family would have taken a photo like this. Um, the 80s not only had that kind of... Um, just that kind of stuff, but it also was known for its incredibly bright colors. So you might have had something that looked a little bit like this. Um, these guys with the, with the bandana, I mean, it was just like, that is a picture of what everyone looked like in the 80s there. Um, if not like that, you might have been a little girl that looked like this. Um, the same thing, like this idea of how bright can we get this, and neon kind of ruled the day. And in terms of like hairstyles, in terms of what it looked like for people to wear their hair, uh, it might have looked something like this, or it did look something like this. This guy, right? Yes, with the, uh, with the mullet, right? And it, it was one of those things that, that you just don't want to ever see come back, right? With the, with the mustache and, and that sweet shirt, right? So this is, this is what this looked like. Um, it could have looked like this. Basically, the whole 80s was trying to figure out who had the bigger hair, you know? And so um, I, I remember a little bit of the 80s, and, uh, and, and I remember, like, hairspray was this thing that no girl was without. You just always had hairspray, and you're trying to get that hair as big as possible, right? Um, it it might have looked like this. It might have looked like <laughs> a young Val Kilmer here, um, something like that. So uh, this is another one of those realities that you begin to see, like, what, what was happening here? Like, how did this, how did this play itself out? This is just, I don't even know what to say about this picture. It has, it has everything. It has the, uh, the choker. It has, it even has the pants with the, uh, with the vinyl on top of it. Like it's jeans, but let's cover up the jeans. Like it is, it is incredible to see how this worked. And we think about, um, we think about the fact that at some point someone looked in their closet and they saw these clothes and they thought, yep. That's what I'm going to go out in. Like, this is what I want to wear. Someone said, okay, if I can only get my hair to do supernatural things, right? Let's figure out how to do that. Like, and there was, and there's this reality that they, that, that they looked at that and like, hey, I'd really like my, to get my picture taken looking like this, right? And, and this is this, it's a fascinating thing. Um, we think about all throughout history and we think about these absurd realities. You think about uh, days of the corset, right? And, and trying to figure out how do I get the middle of my body for women to, to be as small as possible and, and uncomfortable, right? And so you begin to see th pictures like this. You, you saw pictures, you have stories of people that so wanted their dress to be a certain color that they would use 
arsenic, it, a poison, um, but this poison happens to be green and they would dye their, their dresses. And so they would wear these dresses that were filled with poison um, in order for them to, uh, to look the way that they wanted to look. We begin to think about um, moments like this where you begin to see like this is the foot binding shoes. And so if you're in the far east and you want your feet to look very feminine all of your life, you would wear these things and it would not allow your feet to grow. And so that your feet would look like they thought a woman's feet should look like with the feet binding. And, and this is these incredible moments. And we look at all, we look at 80s fashion. We're like, how is it that at some point everyone, or at least a critical mass of people thought, yeah, that looks great. We should continue to do that. And we should have leg warmers and we should have headbands and all of these things that were so popular. Like at some point there was a group of people that thought this is how people look good, you know? And then all throughout history, there have been these incredibly crazy things that at some point caught on. And these, some point people began to say, this is what I want to look like. And it was all because at some point, the mass amount of people around there began to say, we have made up our mind that this is what beauty looks like, or this is what it looks like to be attractive. And we look back and the crazy thing is as we look back to this and as we see these things, we begin to say, that's absurd. That's, that's ridiculous. And this is something that we, you know, we look at and we begin to say, that wasn't attractive and you got it all wrong. And, and we never want to repeat that thing again. And, and this is what's fascinating is, is that as we look back and as we begin to see these things, it begins to give us context that we did not have in those moments. And so to be able to say, let's make, let's make women's feet very small for the rest of their life. Like let's break the bones and let's, let's not allow them to grow. None of us think, Hey, that's a really great idea. That's how my feet should be. Right. But at some point that was so overwhelming that that was what every um, every family would do to their little girl in order for this to, 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 to work itself out. And, and to be able to say, I'm going to be radically uncomfortable in this corset so that I look a certain way. Like there's this, there's this craziness to this. And, and I think that as we begin to understand this, and as we begin to look back, we have to ask ourselves, e even in history, were those people any different than us? When we look back at, at really difficult things, like we look back at, 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 at the slavery in, in, in our country and we begin to look to World War II and we begin to see um, what was happening in Germany and a group of people that, that all thought that some of these actions were okay. And we begin to see some of these things that were, were radically wrong, but there was a group of people that began to think, I guess that that's just what you do. I guess that that's what's okay. And we have to ask ourselves, are they any different than you and I? Are they worse people? Are they are they morally or, uh, or intrinsically bad people? And the honest answer is likely no. Likely they're not any worse than you. Likely they're not something that would be any more um, different than you in terms of the choices that they would make that would, they would uh, characterize as good and bad. But here's the thing, at the end of the day, what happens is that the culture around you has a greater say in what you think and believe than you can ever imagine. And what we are doing in terms of these, these, this series is beginning to point and shine a picture to this because we believe that there's something going on, that there's some cre creeping cultural ideas that are eroding the clarity and the potency of the gospel. And they're beginning to get into our world. If you think about, uh, you know, how do you, how do you boil a frog in water? If you ha have the water that's hot and you just throw the frog in, it immediately jumps out. But how you do it is you put it in uh, water that's, that's room temperature water and you gradually increase the temperature. And when you gradually in increase the temperature, there's not a 
point that the frog begins to say, oh my goodness, this is too hot. I should escape. And as you begin to gradually do it, at some point you get to this place and you begin to have a place where the, uh, the frog dies, but it doesn't actually know that. And I think that for us, we begin to think about the entire scope of our life. What everything that's around your life, everything that's in, in this culture that surrounds you in every single day of your life, in every single hour of your life, it's whispering a truth to you. It's whispering a reality to you. And you have to understand what that reality is. And then you, meet, you have to make a decision on whether you believe that reality and whether you're going to accept that reality and whether that reality is going to begin to change your life but you have to identify it and you have to understand it or else you'll just make decisions and you'll just go with the flow and it won't be any different than at other times in human history when people have simply just taken and moved along with the normative viewpoint of society and ended up in places that they never wanted to be in. And so we're talking about this and we're talking about what it looks like for these ideas to begin to uh, permeate and how we begin to identify them in such a sig significant way. Now, what I want to talk to you about and uh, in, in, in my two times that I get to talk with you about this is two ideas. And these ideas are so central to our cultural understanding of humanity and our cultural understanding of who we are that even as I speak them, there's going to be a sense of rejection of them or there's gonna be a pushback that in your, in your very being, I think, because of the saturation of the world and its ideas in your life that it's going to be. But I want to tell you, I have good news for you. And I want for you to be able to identify that you're operating in a framework, that there's certain things that make sense to you and there's certain things that don't make sense to you because of a framework that you have. And what I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask you to step back just a little bit from that framework. For you to be able to say, um, okay, let's just take and, and just for a minute entertain that this idea is true or entertain that actually this is what culture is, is talking to me about or even entertain that this is how I think. So in this, uh, I think that we need to understand what is going on. So I want to take a moment and I want you to understand what's going on in the world around you. Here's, here's the reality, the world that we live in, um, as we begin to kind of extract this thought and begin to ask, what does it look like for us to, to have this thought in our life? And what does it look like for this thought to begin to be a worldview by which we make decisions in our world? So let me back up just a little bit and tell you that we live in a world that is arguably the kindest world that humanity has ever known. It is arguably the kindest world that humanity has ever known. We live in a world where there's more emphasis on human well-being than any other time in human history. We live in a world where your feelings are considered to a greater degree than any time in human history. And you might not think that that's true, but I promise you that's true. You need to read some history. Um, we live in a world that is marked by Peace. You might not think that there's a whole lot of peace because of our 24-hour news cycle, but I want you to know there is a remarkable amount of peace in our, in our world right now. We live in a world where there is an assault on all forms of suffering. There's a calling out of bigotry. There's the exposure of racism. There's the realigning of economic disparity. Now, this might not be to the point that it should be, and I would say absolutely in our world that we are not to the place where we should be. I want to just you, let you know that compared to human history, we are at a more progressive place in all of these ideas than it ever before in the world. 
and even though our 24-hour news cycle highlights a lot of these things that are happening, I want you to get that if you begin to go back and you begin to see the normative nature of, uh, of how life was in our previous times, you would begin to say, it's much different. So you live in a place and you live in a time where you have more personal freedom and more opportunity than ever before in the history of humanity. Let's take that thought and let's just put a pin in it. Like, let's just say that is, that is true. And if you're a student of history, at least at some level, you'll understand this. Now, uh, let me say, there's places that are incredibly unkind. There are places that it is incredibly, uh, there's a lack of economic um, uh, realignment. Um, it, there's, there's places where there's all kinds of racism and bigotry. And it, there's, there's places where stuff is really messed up in our world. I'm not saying that. I'm saying in comparison, we live in a place that is much more progressive on all these human ideals than ever before in humanity. Put a pin in that. Concurrently, and there's just too many, I could cite too many things that would, that, would, uh, that would back up this. There is more anxiety and worry. There is more isolation. There is more depression. And there's more of a lack of meaning and happiness, statistically, than ever before in the world that there are more people that suffer with mental illness. There's more people that suffer with all of these things, that there's more suffering in a different context than ever before. And even though this context might not be physical, it is every bit an increase in human suffering. And so you have the kindest, the kindest moment we have in human history. And also concurrently, you have one of the most significant points of suffering in humanity in, as well in terms of worry, anxiety, depression, isolation, all of these things, okay? So these two things are currently simultaneously happening. And so what we begin to see is the world that creates a scenario while we are moving towards kindness, towards personal freedom, towards more opportunity, and at the same time moving into a place where our happiness is being eroded every single year, statistically. What is behind this? What is the idea that is behind this thing happening? Why is it that we begin to do something and we say, hey, this will make us happy, and it actually is working the opposite way? Well, I want you to get that as we begin to understand this, I want to take and, and, and just say this is this idea that is behind this that we have gotten drunk on the idea of personal freedom as the ultimate pathway to human personal fulfillment. This idea that is behind all of this is that we, if we elevate personal freedom, then we'll ultimately discover our meaning in life. We'll discover happiness. And this whole thing that's behind this is because of uh, an underlying truth. And this underlying truth is this, is that our culture tells us that we are wanting to find the greatest satisfaction when we have the freedom to make any choice that we want. That when we have personal freedom, then we can create our own meaning. When we have personal freedom, we can begin to pursue these things. And so when I say that your pursuit of personal happiness is making you miserable, then you might think this is utterly ridiculous. But I want you to tell you the idea behind this that is destroying us. It's the idea of absolute truth being replaced by your freedom to determine your own truth. 
And philosophically, this is called relativism. And relativism is this idea that we, that, that there is no fundamental absolute truth in the world, that all truth is simply made up of your own choices. And here's this idea, because we have elevated personal freedom to such a significant degree that underneath this, this is the idea that if my choice is my choice, and my choice is ultimately ordered in order to make my own uh, freedom or my own meaning, then ultimately I have to create my own truth underneath that. And it has to be in a place where each and every one of us can create our own truths that ultimately allow this idea of personal freedom to be able to be accelerated. And this is what it means. You are the one who determines what is right and what is wrong for your life. You are the one who determines what is meaningful for your life. From your pronoun to your career, it's all up to you. And what I want you to get is this is, an, this is a lot of pressure on you to manufacture your own happiness, to manufacture your own meeting, and to create your own destiny. And we can put it on uh, you know, amazing sayings and, and, and put it on social media and, and all this stuff, but I want you to get that behind this is a very difficult reality. So you're taught that there is no absolute truth. And if there's no absolute truth, then here's the reality. There's very little to get passionate about because there's nothing that you can, you can say, this, this is true and I know it to be true and so therefore I can orient my life towards it. You're taught that human freedom is everything and there's no one authority. And you do you as long as it doesn't offend anyone else. And by offend anyone else, we mean that you're welcome to your own opinion as long as you don't believe that anyone else's opinion is anything less than yours. And as long as you accept the fact that you don't assume that your beliefs are right and that other beliefs are wrong, then we are simply making all personal choices based upon the common highest value of personal freedom. This is what permeates our world. And this is what is, is creating a world that is increasingly kind, but I would say at the same time is increasingly meaningless. And so when we begin to think about this, what happens around this is that your, you, when, when we operate in this, in this idea that the culture is feeding us, your job is to manufacture your own meaning in life. You are a creator of meaning. You create the meaning for your life. And so therefore you have to create the truth for your life. And this is what happens. And relativism opens up the reality that we can, we should, and we must create our own truth in an attempt to create our own meaning in the world. And this seems like it's a new idea, but I want to go into scripture and for you to be able to see that this is not a new idea. And for you to understand how rational people can begin to see this, as it seems like the more freedom that we have, the more meaning we can create. And if, we're, if we don't have to align to any other truth, we can create a truth of our own. And if we create a truth of our own, then of course we will be happy. But ultimately we're not. So let's go to a book that's written 3,000 years ago by a guy who's considered the most wise man who has ever lived. A guy named Solomon write, uh, wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes, he tackles this question. And the Bible addresses this reality that is the current significant reality that we're pursuing both the kindest world and the most joyless world concurrently. And so he begins to help us to understand that this is not the first time we've been confronted with this reality. And so he says this, Chapter one, verse one, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. This is Solomon. 
Meaningless. Meaningless, <laughs> says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. <laughs> and you're like, okay, real page turner here, right? Um, can't wait to see this in the self-help section. section. And he says this. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? It says this, when you begin to think about your life and all the things that you're working for, at some point, you'll begin to see this cycle of things that happen, that you begin to get something and you use something and you discard it and you get a new something and you use something and you discard it and you do the same thing over and over and basically saying, hey, what do people get? Like they're working, they're, they're, they're giving their life to try to accomplish something, but what happens, this thing happens over and over. What do people actually gain? Is the, are these things that I'm pursuing, this material, these material things in this earth, is it really worth it? You begin to think, oh, maybe it's just not the stuff that we have, but maybe it's the relationships. And he addresses that too in the next verse. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. It's saying this, that there's this reality that at some point you're going to be forgotten. At some point, your great-grandkids won't remember your name, just like you can't remember your great-grandparents' name. And at, at some point, you begin to think, I'll make a mark on this world. I'll, 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 like, at least my family will remember me. And here's what Solomon's saying. Hey, I, you're not that important. It just doesn't work that way. You think that you are. You think that if anyone, I mean... You know, they'll have Ancestry.com and they'll fill your name out and some sort of thing, but they won't know anything about you, right? And we think, oh my goodness, if it's not material, if it's not family, what's going on? And we, he says in the next verse, the sun rises and the sun sets and hurry back where it rises. There's, we begin to see this, this cyclical thing that begins to happen, that there's days that turn into days. I know this is really like depressing kind of stuff, so stick with me on this. It says this, maybe you think, maybe I'll accomplish something great, right? It says this, what has been done, uh, what, what has will be done again, and what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. This is this fascinating thing that it's been done before and it'll be done again. That if you think, man, I'm gonna focus on like making an impact. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something for the world. I'm gonna, I'm gonna create something. He's saying, hey, it's been done before, It'll be done again. And then he introduces a phrase here that begins to help us to be able to understand why this is important for him to help us to understand. Why is this depressing thought something that we need to hear? It says this, there's nothing new, and he uses the phrase, under the sun. And this is a really key phrase because this phrase begins to unlock the key to understanding what is a very cynical sounding book. Ecclesiastes, you have to read this thing from the very beginning to the very end. You cannot take and begin to say, I'm going to do some my devotional time and I'm going to read a few chapters of Ecclesiastes. You'll have a terrible day. You'll go through and you're like, meaningless, meaningless. This is what I learned today. I read the Bible and meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Not like my grandkids won't even remember my name. You know, this is like what's what you cannot have. You got to read it all the way to the end. And so he's here and he's unpacking this by using this phrase, under the sun. And under the sun is helping us to understand in this life, in this life, when we begin to locate these realities and we begin to understand these things in this life, in this world, here's what happens. And it says this, maybe you think, hey, if I work hard and maybe if I try my best, 
And this is, the, this is the American way, right? I can begin to make myself. I can begin to do something that actually creates the kind of life that I want to live. Here's what he says uh, 3,000 years ago. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. He's saying this, if you think that you're going to be able to cheat the system of finding happiness under the sun by being able to say, I'll just work harder. I'll just try more. I'll just be able to do all those things that I hear. If you just do this, you know, it's written on some sort of an inspirational statement. If you just try your very hardest, it'll all work out. I want you to know that this is not how the world works, that there's way more randomness to the world, that people who, who you know, live really, really healthy, they get cancer. And, and people who, who thought they would be next in line for the promotion get passed over. And it seems like it's so random sometimes. And so if you think, hey, there's a contract and this is how it all works out. And if I just do these things, this is going to be the outcome that I get. I promise you, you're going to have deep disappointment in life. It's fascinating. As I, list, I listen to podcasts on entrepreneurs and uh, these guys will come back and say, um, and one, one guy always says, hey, tell me, is this something that you did or did you get lucky? And they all answer the same way. I got lucky. These guys build these uh, amazing, uh, and girls build these amazing companies. And at the end of the day, they recognize this thing that was said 3,000 years ago, that time and chance happen to us all. And that you can begin to say, I put myself at the right time. But at the end of the day, if we begin to think, hey, it's just, it's just time and chance. It happened to, to me. Now, here's the thing. That can be on the good side or the bad side. But I want you to know that at the end of the day, that'll crush your happiness if you're expecting something to happen and you don't recognize that there's an inherent randomness to the world sometimes. Now, I'm not saying don't try anymore. I'm not saying, hey, stop studying because it's just a crapshoot, right? So uh, I'm saying that there's a sense of you being able to understand that the, the opportunities that come into your life are not always controllable. He says this also. He begins to turn around and begins to say, but here's the reality that God has made it beautiful in his time. It might not be in our time, but there's something that's working alongside. There's something underneath this that he's also set eternity in the human heart, that there's something in you and there's something in me that is ultimately connected to a, a sense of uh, that there's something bigger than us. It says, yet no one can fathom what God has done from the very beginning to the end. I know that in everything God does, that everything that God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken away from it. God does it so that people will fear him. That there's something that's happening that God begins to subtly point, not just to something that's in this world, that's under the sun, but something that's beyond the sun. And this is what, this is what Solomon is trying to help us to understand. That all of these things, when we locate our meaning inside this world, when we begin to say, these are the things that I'm going to attach meaning to, this is what's going to make me, um, make me secure instead of anxious, going to make me joyful instead of worry, going to make me happy instead of depressed, going to give me meaning in life. When we locate those inside the world, Solomon says, hey, you need to understand uh, something that's very, very, very important that when you do this, ultimately, when you create that own truth of yours, it's going to end up 
meaningless. And so therefore we can have great amounts of human freedom and also great amounts of human suffering. And so here's what he says. This is the very last part of the book. This is here, here's at the very end. He, he goes through and he begins to 29 times says, hey, here's the thing under the sun. Here's the thing so, so that you can begin to understand how you should expect things in this world. If you have your scripture, you should, you should circle this verse. You should highlight it on your phone. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. And this is what 3,000 years ago, the wisest man on earth says to humanity. When you try to locate your meaning within the bounds of you creating something inside of this, under, under the sun, inside of this world, you're always going to be let down that you're always going to have this expectation that's not yet met. And maybe you've hinted at that. Maybe it's that thing that you got that you're like, oh, I can't wait to get this thing. And then you get it and there's just this twinge of disappointment because you thought it would be a little bit more significant. That you went on this great vacation and it was really fun, but and it, there was something that didn't quite ultimately live up to that you thought that this relationship was going to be the thing if I only get her or if I only get him and then you get into it and you realize they're just a person. They're just, they have their own stuff. They have their own issues that, that ultimately your, your happiness is not found in them. It's the ideas of all this stuff that we have happiness in or we, we think we, we're gonna find happiness in. But here's what, here's what Solomon says. You can't ultimately find happiness in something that's here. Now, you might say, Keith, you're using the Bible, and so when you begin to talk about spirituality and how it confronts this overwhelming uh, sense of the idea that personal freedom, that's a pretty bold thing to say. It's a pretty bold thing for you to be able to say um, that, that, that ultimately relativism creates a lack of meaning. That when we think about us creating our own truth and beginning to live in personal freedom, that a, that's actually something that doesn't help us. And so maybe you're here and you're skeptical of the Bible and you think, hey, this is just a place to begin to apply authority to limit my freedom. So let's, let's take something outside of the Bible. Let's go to uh, a reality of, of suffering um, that happened uh, about 60 years ago. In, in the concentration camps in, uh, in, in Nazi Germany, where they put uh, these millions of Jews into these things, there was this reality that as they, as they came out of this, and as this, this began to be known about what happened, um, there was a guy named Viktor Frankl. And Viktor Frankl um, was a, a Jewish doctor who survived the death camps during, uh, during this time. And he wrote a famous book on man's search for meaning and explored the reason why some people uh, under those horrendous conditions seemed to stay strong and kind while others simply gave up or even became collaborators with their enemies in order to survive. His conclusion was that it has to do with the person's meaning in life, that many people had made a career or social status or family their meaning. And those meanings were based upon things in this life that the death camps completely swept away. Some collapsed under the psychological or spiritual weight of this and often died by simply giving up. 
Some collapsed morally and ultimately began to um, only think about saving themselves and did brutal things to, their, um, to the people in the concentration camps to achieve this. Those who did not crumble often had a different point of reference that, they, that transcended the circumstances in this life. Frankel discovered that the only way for the prisoners um, to survive, the, the prisoners' humanity to survive, was to relocate the main meaning of their lives to some transcendent reference point beyond this life and beyond this world. It's a fast, fantastic discovery in terms of being able to say, for us to actually find meaning in this world, we, we have to locate the source of meaning outside of this world that we cannot find meaning inside of this world because anything inside of this world can be taken from us. Anything that we begin to say, this is what I find meaning in. This is what will make me happy. What, what happens is our lack of controllability in our lives, we never can control that. And so we're destined to at some point become unhappy. We're destined at some point to become dissatisfied. We're destined at some point to have this, this darkness in our life because we found all of our meaning inside of this life. And this is what, this is what uh, I, I really believe. When, when anything can threaten what is our happiness, then we are at a place where our ability to maintain a healthy, happy, flourishing worldview is in jeopardy. And could it be that our modern context is no different? in terms of suffering, that those who find meaning outside of themselves can battle difficulties in their lives much more successfully than those who attempt to create their own meaning in this life because they've bought into the idea of personal freedom and individual truth. Uh, Tim Keller says this, he's a, he's a pastor um, or used to be a pastor in New York. It says this, to have meaning in this life is to have both an overall purpose for living and the assurance that you're going to make a difference by serving something beyond yourself. C.S. Lewis, uh, gr the great author, um, says, says it in this way. He says, if I have found a desire within myself that no experience in this world under the sun can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And there's something in us that will never be able to be fulfilled by a kinder world because any context in this where that gets threatened ultimately erodes our capacity for joy. It erodes our capacity to find happiness. And so meaning has to be found in something that's outside of you. And here's what this means. If you were to find meaning in something, maybe you say, okay, Keith, I'm on board with the idea that you have to locate meaning something outside of yourself. But here's the thing that we have to dig down into. For you to find meaning in something outside of yourself you must also find truth outside of yourself. That you cannot fundamentally understand and, and to believe and to live out relativism if you're going to find meaning in something outside of yourself. And so here's the issue, is that our world is increasingly, because of our desire for there to be no absolute truth, 
and everyone discovers their own truth and everyone's a creator of their own truth, then our capacity to find meaning in this life is eroding. And this is what is making more and more of this idea of our, our worry and anxiety and our, our issues. They're beginning to, 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 to rise and there's human suffering, not the way it used to be, but a new form of human suffering because there's less and less meaning because there's less and less to be passionate about because you are the only form of truth that you have in your life. Now, when we think about this, what does this, what does this mean? If you have to begin to live this out, it means that you have a choice to make in your life, that either you're operating in created truth or the antithesis of this is discovered truth. Created truth or discovered truth. Now, created truth is this. It means that it's your personal responsibility to create meaning. There's no absolute universal truth. My choices are right if I believe that they're right. My created meaning has to support my personal happiness and personal desires. My created meaning has no ability to control the world I protect and what I've put my hope in. This is created meaning. I want you to get, this is what happens when we believe, hey, there's no, there's no one way. But whenever we begin to realize, maybe there is something that's beyond the sun. Maybe there is a truth, and that truth is not defined by me, and so I have to submit to this truth. That I don't get to be, I don't get to say that's right and that's wrong. That something else gets to say that. Something else defines what is right and what is wrong, and that is not up for debate. That is an absolute thing. Then at this point, what happens is we get into a posture of discovering this and we discover this truth. And uh, we, uh, we come to this point and we begin to say, oh, that is what is right. That is what is wrong. That's bigger than me. That's beyond me. And although I have to align my life to it, which means I limit some of my choices, that is something that I can begin to say I'm sure in. This makes it that allows us to have confidence in this. And when everything is taken away that I've said, this is what I would alternatively have put my hope in, that is never going to be taken away because it is located outside of this world. And so what you begin to see is actually, when you begin to see people who are spiritual, there is an actually increased rationality to the way that they think. That spiritual, spirituality is actually more rational when it comes to how to deal with suffering and how to deal with difficulty. And I want you to know, every single one of us is going to go through moments in our life where it's going to be very, very difficult. We, we can't expect, hey, it's all going to work out just fine. And in those moments, we begin to see spirituality and specifically Christianity as having tools to be able to navigate this in a healthy, flourishing way. And this is where we begin to say, that's better than all of this stuff. That when we begin to think about this, and you might, you might ask the question, okay, so when I begin to discover truth and I begin to say, that's better, and I begin to say, okay, I align my heart and I align my life to that, and I have to limit my personal freedom in order to begin to pursue this, does that diminish the world around me? And this is what this ancient idea is. This ancient idea was, if you just not like the world around you, then you'll never be disappointed. And, and you might say, is, is that what you're saying? That, that all the things I love about this, uh, our relationships and family and, and possessions and, uh, and experiences and, and being able to make something like, is, are you saying, Keith, that I have to ultimately say, I, 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 I don't want to love that anymore. And I have to reduce all that and kind of become numb to all of those things. And I want you to say, it's, it's actually just the opposite. 
Here's what's beautiful about the rationality of faith. That when you begin to say God is better, here's what it does. It frees you to be able to put appropriate expectations on the world around you. When you begin, so I'm not saying love things less. I'm just saying love God more. When you begin to say, I'm going to put my hope and trust in God, then I can take the job and not think this is going to fulfill my soul. I can, I can pursue the girl and not think that she's going to be my salvation. I can get the thing and not think, oh, if I just have this possession, then I'll be happy. And actually you begin to enjoy all of life more when you begin to realize that it has no capacity to meet your deepest needs. And if it was removed from you, then you would be okay. And this is how you survive the death of a spouse and the death of a child and the loss of a job and anything that could be in your life that you would think this is catastrophic. And this is where we see people that have faith and they begin to say, actually, my greatest hope is not in that spouse. It's not in that job. It's not in that possession. And so in this, I'm going to be okay. And your joy can begin to expand even when your context is terrible. And this makes you impervious to ultimately getting to places where the bottom drops out of your life. You're solid. And this is the rationality of faith when we begin to look at this. And so you might say, okay, Keith, that means submission. That means that I actually, I don't get to make all of my choices and I I might not feel okay with that. And so if you're here and you're like, I don't know what to do if I can't make the choices in my life. That's a completely valid point. And if you like say, it's pressing on me. So you're saying that I have to submit to something. How I know if that thing is something that I want to submit to. It's, It's much easier to say, I get to choose my own things, right? I get to choose my own life. I get to choose, make all of these things myself. So I want you to get a peek at this God and for you to be able to understand what you would actually be discovering. If you begin to say, no longer am I going to live in created truth, I'm going to live in discovered truth. Here's what I want you to discover. One of the most famous verses in the Bible is John 3.16. Here's what it says. For this is how God loved the world. He, he gave his one and only son. This is not just a, a talk of God being loving. This is not just this this idea of, man, love is just this thing and this, this concept. What we're talking about is the guy who makes the absolute truth is also the guy who shows a tangible picture of his unfathomable love for you and I. It's not just love. We should all love. Here's what God demonstrated his love. He says this, he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Well, to be able to live this kind of life that is beyond the sun, when we begin to think about this idea that it, it, the eternal reality of life and being able to say, ultimately, the biggest part of you is relocated, not to find meaning in this world, but to find meaning in the next world. And so what he says this is that, and here's what we need to understand, that there's both a a context of absolute truth, but there's this also this context of this deep benevolent, benevolent love that God has for you. Here's what he says, that God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. This is, this is what you have to understand. We get, we get freaked out sometimes when we think about 
there's an, there's an authority. But I want you to get this authority loves you more than you love you, which for some of you is very difficult, but God does it. God loves you more than your mama loves you. God loves you more than anyone else could love you. God wants the very best for you. And so he says, there's a defined way to live. And that might feel crushing to you. That might feel like, how do you know what's best for me? I want you to get that God loves you so much. He knows what is best for you. And he demonstrated it to you and to me. And so we have this. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But if anyone who does not believe in him has been judged, uh, judged, for not believing in God's one and only son. There is this combination of truth and combination of love. And in our world, what we need to understand is that this reality is what we walk in. We walk in this reality where there is this combination of authority and deep love. And I want you to discover this God. And I want your eyes to be open to this God. And I want for you to have a moment where you begin to embrace this God. And for you to be able to say, no longer do I want to create meaning in my life. And all throughout uh, the world, or all throughout the Bible, what we begin to see is these, these discovery moments. And as they begin to think about this, God, Jesus says, hey, it's like a, a pearl in a field that someone discovers that they didn't create this. They didn't grow the pearl. They discovered this. So they sold everything to get the pearl. And we begin to see these people who discover who Jesus is in the very first century. And they discover what the resurrection is all about. And all of a sudden what happens is because they didn't create their own meaning, they could live in a way that was radical. And they begin to take and they transform the world because they discovered a truth, not created a truth. None of them would, would have survived the, the persecution and ultimately death if they would have said, actually, I just created this all this up. This is just me. This is a good idea that I had, and I thought it would work out. No, they discovered something, and it's the same thing that can discover, it be discovered by you. And so I want you to get all around you is the pressure to be, to understand relativism and to think about your personal freedom as the highest thing. And I want you to know it is at the cost of you being able to discover your meaning in life, the truth in life, and ultimately the cost of your personal happiness available to you is the discovery of your heavenly father who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to provide a way for you to relocate your meaning outside of this world. And you have to say yes to the discovery of Jesus. So maybe you're here and maybe you've considered yourself a Christian, but you begin to say, you know what? I've been pursuing my own thing. Today, I want you to begin to say, no longer am I going to play this little game of having this kind of this worldview of God, but ultimately thinking that I can create my own meaning. What I want to ask of you today is that you might be able to take and you might be able to say, I'm going to locate all of my meaning and Jesus alone. I'm going to discover. And for some of you today, it might be the first time. And you said, I'm, my whole life, I've been creating my own meaning. But today, I want to discover Jesus. And so if you came here with a friend or if you have a, someone that you know that you can ask these questions, I want for you to be able to, if, if at some point you're feeling like this is a reality, for you to be able to, to connect with them tonight. And maybe if you don't have anyone in your life, uh, there's a connection card that you can fill out and you can begin to say, I want to know more about Jesus. I want to discover who Jesus is. I want you to know 
this is a key thing. All around you, it, you're being bombarded with this idea that you can create, uh, create your own meaning. But I want you to know that there's something to discovery, to discover, and it'll change your entire life. Let me pray for us. God, I ask that you would take and you would help us in a significant way, Lord, to relocate our meaning from anything in this world, God. I pray that as we sing, I pray in these next few moments that you will take and you will show us how we have put meaning for things that were never intended to bear the weight of meaning in our life. God, take and help us to see what it looks like for us to discover you, God. I pray that you would do something remarkable in these next few moments. As we begin to proclaim to you who you are, Lord, help us to discover who you are and help us to run from a created meaning and find you in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Resonate Church Sermon Podcast. If you are a college student in the Northwest or if you simply want to see college students come to know Jesus, please connect with us by visiting Resonate.net.